You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. 162 regular season games, six months of travel, flights, hotels, and baseball. Join us now for a behind-the-scenes look at a season on the road with the Oakland A's. Vince Catronio takes us on a journey around Major League Baseball. Starting now. Welcome back to another edition of A Season on the Road. I'm Vince Catronio with the pitching coach of the Houston Astros. Full disclosure, I've known this man since 1985. When he's in the Dodgers organization, we were together with the Astros in the minor leagues and again in the big leagues in Houston. And now he has uh, become an overnight sensation in his late yeah. 60s and now at 870, <laughs> the Major League Coach of the Year, pitching coach for the Astros from 2018. Brent, you know, I love seeing you all the time. And, boy, what a great story it has been over here. Let, let's first uh, take a step back because your time, uh, a former number one pick at a USC and got to the big leagues and pitched, but unfortunately arm troubles ended uh, your career far too early. But... What were the early days like for you as you were trying to establish yourself as a big league pitcher? Well, you know, Vince, it was my it was my dream since I remember watching in 19... I'm 70 years old right now, and 1957, 58, 9 years old, 10 years old, little black and white TV. I watched the Yankees play the Braves uh, in the World Series. The Spahn and Burdett and Mantle and Whitey Ford and the guys, and I fell in love with the game. My dad took me to my first San Diego Padre game, which was a AAA affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds down at Old Lane Field in downtown San Diego and this the smell and the grass and and everything I fell in love with the game as with other sports but really dreamt about being a major league pitcher and I was lucky to realize the dream albeit it was a lot shorter than I had envisioned. With the New York Mets is where you broke in originally and then one of the great stories about Brent Strom is that you weren't Tommy John but you were the second Tommy John. Back then in the 70s when this procedure was presented to you what what were your thoughts what were the possibilities of of having this operation done on your arm and the, the hope that you could still maybe pitch again well I'm, I'm the Buzz Aldrin of uh, Tommy John's nobody really knows who Buzz is uh, <laughs> second but, man on the moon yes they do as we <laughs> talk to you from Houston and uh, but the uh, what, what happened was I was with the Padres uh, uh, they were going out with a 10-man staff it was between myself and a gentleman by named Don, John DiAquisto to make the team my arm was killing me I knew there was something wrong I was self-medicating I was doing stuff that probably shouldn't do uh, heading to San Diego in the middle of the night to get cortisone shots without the team knowing. I was in a desperate strait. Uh, they released me. Uh, I ended up having the surgery. Uh, they were excited to do it because they wanted to see how it would work. And, and it's kind of funny, with all the things that we have going on today, I got in my car, drove to uh, Sentinel Hospital in L.A. from San Diego, had the surgery, got in the car, and drove home. Uh, a little bit different the way they do things now. Uh, my, our trainer... Uh, uh, Jeremiah laughs about that because now we we have limos and we have private jets and we we have everything going for him. Uh, but uh, I, I rehabbed. I uh, didn't really have much of a plan. But uh, Bob Cluck, a friend of mine, uh, re-signed me with the uh, Houston Astros. I tried to make a comeback. Uh, that's where we got together in Tucson, pitched in Tucson, and eventually had to retire. But became a pitching coach the following year with the Albuquerque Dukes and. Uh, my coaching career uh, took off a little bit sooner than I really wanted. You never got a chance to pitch at the Coliseum. I mean, a pitcher's paradise, and 
I would have loved to have seen what Fred <laughs> Strom could have done on that mound. Well, I, I need I needed all the foul territory I could get, so I wish I would have done that. <laughs> Let's. Uh, so you talk about the coaching career, and when I met you, you were with the Dodgers, which you spent a lot of years with. So you're around guys like Sandy Koufax and Don Newcomb and Claude Osteen and other names uh, at Dodger Town and, and teaching the Dodger way. What was instruction like back then, considering we're going to fast forward in a couple of minutes and talk about how things have modernized in today's game? Well, really, I, I, uh, I, myself and the other pitching coaches in the Dodger organization, really it was almost like a Ph.D. in pitching. It was wonderful to come in after the day. We'd all dress together, and, and here I am getting dressed, and Koufax is across from me. John Roseboro's over there. They're talking about the 65 World Series, which I had watched. I got Don Newcomb coming in, uh, Osteen, the late Larry Sherry, the late Johnny Padres, uh, Joe Black. Uh, it was just uh, unbelievable to drive the late Don Drysdale would come in and they, they would just tell stories and then in the evening uh, they had a bar you know and uh, I think that year they had like the cashew bar the cashew uh, uh, was like $2,500 it cost to, to keep the Dodger town in cashews that's how nice it was and uh, just learned a lot about pitching and uh, sharing ideas and Koufax in particular my favorite pitcher of all time was very giving very sharing I loved to talk to the kids, and uh, I gleaned a great deal from, from Sandy Koufax. You were around him a lot. You saw him. You, you invited him to, to your camps. So you invited him to you know, spring training or workouts, and he would just kind of casually show up in a pair of jeans with this great pitching acumen. What were, you know, what were some of the simple things or, or maybe even complex that, that he could simplify in, in his message that he was helping you deliver? Well, in his book uh, called, uh, I forget the name of the book, when he threw his perfect game against the, the Cubs, one nothing, um, he, uh, he talked a little bit about hip lead and the way the, the bone structure works to stay on line. There was a drive line that he talked about. His curveball was exceptional. I, to this day, I teach his curveball, albeit none of, nobody I've ever run into has hands that size. But the concept of his curveball was so fascinating to me that I still use that today. And for a simple thing like when I ask kids at clinics, what are the two most important fingers in throwing the curveball? Most everybody will say thumb and middle finger or, or index finger and middle finger. No, it's really the, the middle finger and the ring finger. And the thumb is not even involved with the curveball. And if anybody's ever seen old video of, of Koufax's curveball, it was, it was spectacular. And uh, it's kind of like the Jose Pagan one day told me in the PCL. I said, hey, Jose, uh, tell me the difference between Gibson and Koufax. And Jose go Estrami. He said, uh, Gibson was unbeatable, Koufax was unhittable. And that's, uh, that's the way I took it. It was kind of kind of pretty neat. And uh, so learning from him and, and a lot of guys over there, the Dodgers had a, I think the Dodgers and the Mets were a little bit ahead of their time in the pitching. Uh, they utilized the elevated fastball. They, uh, they liked the curveball much more than the slider. And the Dodgers would teach everybody to learn to throw a curveball. If, if, if everything was done and you couldn't get it, then they'd go to the slider. And uh, the, the Mets were the same way coming up with them. We're visiting with Brent Strom at our season on the road. He is the pitching coach for the Houston Astros. And what I think people are hearing, and something I know, because I, I had conversations with you. You challenged me time and time again in different conversations about the game and about pitching. You have this incredible thirst for knowledge and this incredible desire to to expand you know, your mind and, and look at other possibilities. How, how did all that come about? Well, I've been fascinated by what the great pitchers of the past did. And then coming over here to Houston, um, I was uh, indoctrinated or taught that we, we did things a certain way here. And I, quite frankly, uh, I either had to get on board or I wasn't going to be here. But I was fascinated by the, the new technology uh, the Statcast, the uh, TrackMan, all of the, the Rapsodo, all the different things 
that would show me things that I couldn't see with my eye. I could intuitively kind of sense it, but this gave us bona fide objective numbers, and and that seemed to carry a lot of weight. And so there were times uh, where my ideas would be validated, and there were other times where my ideas would be uh, shot to hell, quite frankly, and, and I would have to regroup. And I never took it as a, when I was wrong, I never took it as though a failure or anything. It was just a way to move forward. And so I've been very blessed to be with this organization, and uh, Jeff Lunau bringing me over from the Cardinals was uh, uh, I was very happy in St. Louis doing my roving gig, and he challenged me to see if my ideas would work at the major league level, and uh, thus far we've had some success. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that relationship, how it began with you, with Jeff, when he was with the Cardinals, and you were there as well with his ideas, with his background as a consultant and really out of the game, but using different analytics as a way to maximize the possibilities to, for your ball club. What, what was that like like originally? Well, as you know, I was... I was um, when I was with the Expos, I was I was let go the last day of spring training, and I, I spent two days out of two years out of the game. Uh, I can relate to that. Uh, yeah, I could not find a job. Um, I was turned down either because of my age or whatever the reason was, and uh, so I was doing clinics, and I happened to run into uh, somebody who knew Jeff from a from a business uh, relationship, and I was talking about injuries. In fact, I was talking about how Wainwright gets hurt, and uh, that kind of struck a bell with Jeff and. And the Cardinals, because uh, as great a pitcher as Adam Wainwright have been, he's had his series of, of, of injuries. And we, at the time, the guy said, "Well, I'd like you to talk to, to Jeff." And so I went up to I went up to St. Louis on a cold January, wearing a short sleeve shirt. It was freezing. I presented my uh, my ideas to Jeff and, and Sig and, and Mike Gersh and a lot of the people at the Cardinals. They said goodbye, and uh, they called me later and said, "Hey, we'd like you to kind of become a, a mechanics coach, so to speak." Uh, interesting enough, I, I really ran into a hornet's nest going over to St. Louis because the Cardinals were really into east-west type pitching, slider, sinker, induced ground balls. I had brought my ideas from the Dodgers, which was more of a vertical attack, which was forcing fastballs up, curveballs down, trying to create create strikeouts. Uh, it became apparent to me that, as I looked at the numbers, pitchers need to strike people out. Uh, the more balls that are hit, the more chances you're at luck that a ball will fall in. So um, I brought that in, and fortunately I had two people they were really on my side, quite frankly, two important people. One really important person, that was Bill DeWitt, the owner of the team. So that's really benefited me in my initial uh, dealings with St. Louis. There's a lot of conversation in today's game about all these different areas around the country. Driveline is up in uh, the Seattle area. You've got uh, Doug Latta, who's the, the hitting guru down in Southern California. You've got the Texas Baseball Ranch, which is just north of Houston, which you have participated in. How did that come together? What did you see there? What enlightened you when you walked into this structure and saw the work going on there and pitchers trying to either rehab their careers or get back to the big leagues or just start their careers? Well, actually, I was online and happened to run into uh, the Texas Baseball Ranch advertisement. It was Ron Wolford, uh, and uh, I just sent away for his book. And the title of the book, I can remember, was 16 positions that the body must be in to be able to throw the baseball. And I found that kind of fascinating. I said, wow, 16 of them, huh? Well, I wonder if I hit all 16 when I played. Uh, quite frankly, uh, he sold uh, 10 books, all of them to his relatives, okay? Uh, the book is uh, probably about as far off as you can be, but when I went in to see him, uh, he came up with an idea. He said, hey, I'd like you to, to stay here and be part of my uh, business, and, and we built it up. And the first clinic we had were six, six kids. And uh, now it's a multi-million dollar business. Uh, Ron and his wife Jill have done a tremendous job. Uh, they have a nice facility in uh, up north of here, about 35 minutes north of where we're sitting right now. 
and uh, basically some pro guys have come into it now and and driveline's done a nice job there's a lot of different things they all have certain ideas that they're trying to promote but uh, basically I kind of gleaned a little bit from Ron on uh, on in all of us what really turned me on to where I'm in today is a guy named Paul Nyman who came in and spoke one day at a clinic up in uh, Seattle Tim Linscombe was a freshman pitching at the University of Washington and listened to him and that got me involved with the athleticism that's needed in pitching before I used to think of pitching as position, pitching by the positions. Really, it's what happens between the positions that are most important in developing velocity and control and arm health and durability. And so it's been a constant quest. Uh, I'm still learning today. Uh, you know, I can tell you about your club right now, Vince, the uh, Oakland A's. You know, I remember, uh, this is kind of fascinating, I remember when, when uh, Moss and the boys were playing for the Oakland A's, uh, they, were, they were counterbalancing all the sinker ball pitchers of baseball, and they had elevated swings. Well... In looking at your ball club now, you guys have made a complete reversal. Now you're hitting high fastballs, and it's a credit to, I'll tell you what, it is a truly a credit to the Oakland A's coaching staff uh, to be able to take players that are hungry and, and change an entire uh, concept of how they swing the bat. Guys have changed over there, so we have to rechange our thinking a little bit. It used to be high heaters to Moss and high heaters to uh, uh, to Donaldson and those guys that used to be there. Now it's uh, we have to little, be a little more careful. I think Mr. Olson's getting to a few of them and uh, Kana's getting to a few of them. And uh, so it's uh, it's quite a battle with this Oakland club and uh, one that uh, I mean, can't say I relish it because it's always a battle, but uh, we'll see what happens in the next three days. Visiting with Brent Strong, the pitching coach of the Houston Astros in our season on the road. I'm Vince Catronio. And, you know, when you talk about the athletes, when you talk about the Astros, Brent, you talk about the you know all the the analytics that are used here. They talk about high-speed cameras and all throughout the system and whatnot. But for you, as you have so many different kinds of numbers that you can look at, is there an analytic like a simplified number that that helps you make the most sense or helps you deliver the message easiest as you either continue to build players that have been in the system or when players come to this organization and say, I think this is a path that you should investigate, and here's the reason why. Well, you know, what we do is uh, TrackMan and the Eggertronic, the camera that we get at 400 frames to 1,000 frames a second, really shows us what really happens as the ball comes off the hand. <clears throat> and what you see uh, a lot of times is not, when you look at a breaking ball, for example, and you see a Verlander slider, and, and you think it's really, really good, then you see how it comes off the hands that it could be improved just by a fraction of being able to have the ball. Because you do everything correct, but really, you're defined by how the ball comes off your hand. And the Eggertronic camera, for example, will show us at high speed exactly that maybe early pronation is taking place. Uh, he's not maintaining this, the position of his hand on the ball at the time. And this is so valuable. And then you get the spin rates. You get the, uh, you get the RPMs of fastballs. You get the, uh, the life. We, I see people that throw 89 miles an hour with hop to the ball and I see other people that throw 95 and it's kind of gooey and flat and you would think that the higher velocity guy would be better but really it's the spin rate and the and the life to a baseball that can be enhanced by by extension can be enhanced by how you move off the rubber it can it can be enhanced how you put your back foot on the rubber uh, whether you're sitting into your glute or you're being quad dominated so all of these terms that that I've, I've been learning and continue to learn, I've gleaned from uh, other looking at other sports, javelin, javelins, uh, shot putters, uh, all of these people. When you look at rotation being so huge, uh, the ability to rotate correctly and, and not just spin, but rotate correctly and be able to stop the torso at the right time, all of these things enter into uh, making a pitcher successful. Brent, one of the reasons why I wanted to spend some time with you specifically this week is because when the A's are back home on Thursday, 
I'm doing an analytic-driven broadcast on our side station on our on our TuneIn app with Eno Saris from the Athletic, who's sure. you know he's big on grips and learning stuff, and I know you probably spent some time with him. David Force will join us for a bit as well as will Ben Lowry, one of the A's uh, baseball analysts. And, and with the, one of the stories here, you mentioned spin rate, and the name that came to mind initially is Colin McHugh, who was the the journeyman met in Colorado Rocky that had bad numbers, and you guys got him and you sat him down in some some kind of a corporate conference room and explained to him and showed him ways that could make him better without you know no, get a secret sauce what no, was that like well Colin Colin had been with the uh, the Mets in the Rockies without much success um, he uh, we identified our front office identified a guy that could spin the ball at a, at a high rate and basically he was in Colorado trying to sink the ball and slide the ball and cut the ball and do all of these things and I remember when Colin joined us, uh, this is a pretty neat story. Uh, he was a guy in spring training that I looked at, and I, I kind of was, you know, okay, this guy's okay, it's nothing special, and this and that. But we had an injury to Brett Oberholzer, uh, and we're playing in Seattle, and they call him up as a spot start. And he's warming up in Seattle, and they had seven left-handed hitters in the lineup, Seeger and the boys. And uh, he's warming up, and he's throwing. I hadn't seen him since spring training. He's throwing you know, a little slider and a little trying to sink the ball down under. And I said, Colin, trust me on this one. Seven left-handed hitters. I want you to throw elevated heaters, four-seamers up in the zone, curveballs in the bottom of the zone. And and to his credit, he uh, he trusted me. Now, I will tell you, Vince, after I told him that, I said copious amount of prayers to the Lord that this would work out. I mean, because this is guy, this guy's career he struck out 11 that night in seven and third innings, never saw the minor leagues again. And I was so grateful. Uh, that he had trust in me and it kind of validated some of the ideas that we had had and and the rest is history and he's been a very valuable part of this team. So fast forward you you acquire right at, with moments to go at the end of the uh, trading deadline Justin Verlander who helps send uh, the Astros into and win the World Series. First time it happens here in the state of Texas that they actually win the World Series. Here's a guy that as you know is accomplished. He's on a Hall of Fame track and he has his way of doing things. So how did how did what he does and what you believe in, how has that come together? What are the, what's that relationship been like with you and Justin Verlander? Well, I wish I could say that it's been uh, completely smooth. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. We've had our, our battles a little bit, particularly on pitching inside and developing his changeup and things like that. So there's still work to be done. But we, when he came over here, it's not just me. It's the entire organization. We map this thing out. We show them numbers. We show them what's happened in the past, why he was good in 2011 when he was Cy Young MVP of the Tigers and what he was doing then. But to Justin's case, he, he overcame some injuries that took place uh, later that, uh, quite frankly, his wife actually uh, helped him find a, a person to help him get healthy. And uh, and basically, you know, the fastball's still there. He has elite spin on his fastball. The slider's played. Um, so it's been kind of a, kind of a revelation to see a guy at – I watched him pitch the opener in the World Series in the All-Star game just recently. He's 36. Everybody else seems to be 25 or younger, uh, but it's kind of neat to see him still continue. And he's he's a horse for us. He gives us innings, extremely extremely prepared. I mean, this is uh, he lets no stone unturned to try and find out things, and uh, and we'll see if we can uh, can handle your A's here on the last day of this series because uh, they're a tough they're a tough customer. As we visit. I'm reading the MVP machine, which is the story about data and baseball, and there's a lot of talk about Trevor Bauer in there and, and other people that we've already discussed, but there's also conversation in there about Garrett Cole, who came to your, your club from the Pirates, where Ray Searidge is 
is the sinker specialist. That was the thing that he liked to teach with the Pirates. That's the thing they used and felt like they had a measure of success with that, and they got to the postseason for a few years using that. Garrett Cole was acquired, former number one pick overall, and you guys sit him down, and, and you the things you've talked about, let's elevate the fastball, let's change the plane. Uh, how did that come about, and how welcoming was he uh, to that conversation? Well, all you had to pull, all you had to, to show him was that he'd given up 34 home runs that year with the Pirates, that the majority of them were middle in, middle down, and in to right-handed hitters. Uh, so those numbers didn't lie. And what we talked about was his that the velocity could be increased. So we talked about using the four-seam fastball, both sides of the plate, elevating it, uh, getting it still down and away. But you know, this is a, and then by doing so, we showed him. It's just like with with. Um, uh, Charlie Morton utilizing his curveball more when he came over from the Pirates. We said, utilize his pitch. It's, it's an undervalued pitch. So you try and find value in, in certain things that maybe had been missed. You know, this is the same thing that happened to me in St. Louis. Uh, uh, Molina, who's going to be a Hall of Fame catcher, the Cardinals were big into contact, east and west induced ground balls. Uh, I came with a different idea that came from the Dodgers and my time with the Mets. And so uh, there was a little clash there, but here I found a home, uh, and Garrett, to his credit, very cerebral guy, uh, bought into it, and he had a nice year last year, and he's having a good year this year. I respect your opinion so much because you've seen so much of this game evolve, and everybody wants to talk about three true outcomes now with home runs and strikeouts and walks. Where do you see the game going, especially working for a team that is so analytically driven, that goes above and beyond every just about every organization of baseball, except maybe the Yankees and the Dodgers in terms of having all the information, having the technology available, not just here in Houston, but throughout your system. Where's the game going in your opinion? Well, I, I'd be honest with you. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the way the game is going right now with the way it's being played. I can't remember the last time I saw a hit and run. I can't remember the last time I saw a sack bunt. Um, balls, I mean, the, the balls are flying out of the ballpark and the strikeouts, and I can understand why MLB is a little bit concerned about the way the game is being viewed right now you watch it's kind of like in basketball you all you see the dunks and all you see on the highlight on espn and, and sports center is the home runs um, it'd be interesting to me if the gwins and the boggs and the molitors and the carews and those guys were playing into pete rose if they were all playing in today's game how it would be if it would be different because they they played the game with a different type of approach to strikeouts were <clears throat> something to be uh, not ashamed of, but something you tried to stay away from. Now it's just common, common, commonplace, you know. And uh, I hope we do get back into the game. I will say it's difficult because pitchers are throwing harder than ever. Um, but I tell you what, I would still, I, I, I argue with some of the young guys today. You know, they they think when I played that everybody threw 88 miles an hour, and I, I bring up names like Seaver and Ryan and Carlton and 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 the boys Gossage and these kind of guys. Uh, it would be interesting for me if I could have a staff of uh, Hendricks and a, a healthy Moyer and a young Maddox and those kind of people to take my chances with what they do because I will tell you what, the number one thing that I tell our, specifically our minor league people and especially our Latin people, bring me kids who have a changeup. Bring me kids who have a changeup. We had a kid the other day for us, Urquidy pitched for us the other day, 98 pitches, 45 changeups. 45 out of 98. We're talking 50% changeups, seven innings, nine punches, one hit. So. Uh, I think if I had a son, that'd be the first thing I'd teach him is to throw a changeup. Learn how to throw a changeup. As we wind down our conversation, our season on the road with Brent Strom from the Houston Astros, uh, what's your feeling about the way this season's going to play out? There's a lot of teams that are involved. Certainly the Astros are the team to beat, as they should be. You're so talented and so deep with your club. 
Uh, your manager, A.J. Hinch, even talked about weeks ago, the team I'm looking out for are the, are the Oakland Athletics. And just looking the way this the rest of the summer will play out, how much fun is this going to be? Well, I, I wish we were 15 games ahead of the Oakland Athletics right now. I, you know how I feel about your club. That uh, is a difficult team to pitch, to pitch to. You know they make a run every year. I mean, they do more with less than any team in baseball for me. And, and you know, look at our division, you know. I think there's four teams close to 500, okay? Find me another division that has that. You know, I, uh, we'll beat up on each other, uh, but I just know Oakland with their patience, with their, uh, with their ability to put the ball in play. I mean, look at the improvement Simeon has made. It's been unbelievable defensively, too. Ron Washington deserves a great, real, great deal of credit for that. Uh, you, you, you just have a, a tremendous ball club, and it's always a battle for us, and I know they'll, they'll come right after us in these next three games, and uh, we'll see what happens. But it's good for baseball. It's a good, good rivalry, and, uh, uh, you know, Trout's in our division. Uh, Texas in Texas is a hard team to beat because they score a lot of runs. So for a, from a pitching coach's standpoint, uh, this is not an easy division. Brent, you know, I always love spending time with you. I wish I could spend a lot more time with you. You've, you've taught me an awful lot about this game, and I continue to ask you questions and continue to learn. Thanks for taking some time away. I know you prepare a lot. You've got a lot on your mind. You're very caring about your team and your pitchers. It's always fun to watch you work, and we'll see how the rest of the summer plays out. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Vince. Brent Straub joining us, the pitching coach from the Houston Astros with this edition of A Season on the Road. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.